Welcome back to Nightfalls, the bedtime story show of classic and original stories designed to guide you into a calm and peaceful sleep. I'm Jeffrey Newland, and tonight I'd like to tell you about a late summer's harvest when my friends and I gathered to pick the last fruits that hung in the orchard, ready to pickle and pack and preserve and tuck away for the winter ahead. The time I spend with my friends here at the falls gets me thinking about the beauty of building a community and about how there's truly nothing better than the simple things in life. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our valued sponsors who make this free content possible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two tabs on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven, natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. The weather was about to change. I could sense it. Suspended in the air was the scent of the first rain ready to fall. If summer was the longest, laziest in-breath, the early autumn winds that swept through the clearing in mid-September were a long, lazy sigh of relief. Then that morning... My friend and I found ourselves perched on the precipice, anchored up in the perfect pause that comes between in-breath and out-breath. The clearing was awash with the stillness that tended to precede any great change in nature, and we made it our business to take full advantage of the perfect peace that befell the clearing. 
and ready ourselves for the imminent oranges of autumn. I'd spent my first summer in nightfalls building an orchard. As a young man, despite having never been particularly taken with my studies, I was always rather enamoured by William Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. Perhaps it was because my favourite teacher led that literature class. Perhaps it was because it was the very end of term in my tenth year and summer was right around the corner. Or perhaps it was because I was convinced I had fallen in love for the first time with a girl from my form group. Something about the play captured my imagination, and the orchard scenes in particular I had never forgotten. Later, when I had moved on to university and managed to secure a spot in the theatre society, I trod the boards and performed in the famous orchard scene myself. I was glad to leave my life behind and start a new one in Nightfalls, but I saw no harm in honouring my passions and my past in my new home, and for that reason I set out to build the orchard. For months I toiled in the morning sun, cutting wood to build the framework, sowing seeds into the upturned earth, and coaxing the shoots and blossoms into winding around the frame when they were ready. When the vines finally formed the archway I had hoped they would and began to offer up fruit, I would wander through the orchard and gather zesty lemons ripe red grapes, oranges and tomatoes into a basket that Lyra had woven for me. I grew figs, which I'd never liked, but which Anwin adored, and I kept hold of any vine leaves I cut away so I could stuff them with lemon, rice and herbs, like the sumptuous ones I'd sampled in Greece one summer. I'd held off on properly harvesting the fruit of my labour until that afternoon, when I felt the summer beginning to wane. I knew that as the fruit began to fall and the leaves to dry, my friends and I would need to prepare ourselves for the winter and preserve as much food as we could. I was always comforted by the way in which my friends and I could band together I felt, during that summer in nightfalls, more than I ever had, that there were people I could fall back on, that I could trust to act in our interest, even when I wasn't able to. More than that, I felt I'd finally found a group of friends I would do anything to be there for, to provide for and support however they needed. I'd never offered that up and felt the same care being extended to me so readily. I'd started to understand the symbiotic relationship that existed throughout the natural world and in the animal kingdom, 
And we couldn't shake the thought that the tangled and twined lives of my friends and I reflected that perfect natural harmony. Emwyn's daughter, Rhea, had taken me to the edge of the reef one afternoon early that summer to show me the gobies and pistol shrimp that share burrows and stay close together whenever they venture outside. Rhea learned at school that pistol shrimp are fantastic at digging into the seabed and creating comfortable burrows, much better than goby fish could claim to be. The pair stay close because the gobies can send chemical cues to the shrimp when it spots a potential predator. The shrimp, which maintains contact with the goby by resting a sensitive antennae on it, knows to bolt inside with the fish whenever it gets the signal. Rhea said they seem like rather unlikely friends to her, for they have nothing in common, and I think it was Anwin who reminded her daughter that it's their differences that help them to take care of one another that make them such a perfect team. Anwen taught Devani and I that the coral on the reef was not quite the underwater garden I had imagined it to be and was in fact a family of sprawling marine animals. I hadn't realised that the beautiful, vibrant colours the corals boasted were actually derived from the zooxanthellae algae they share a symbiotic relationship with. Anwen explained that without the algae, the coral is a plain white colour one might easily confuse for the sand on the seabed at any great distance. As the coral grows, it absorbs and provides shelter and nutrients for the algae that allows it to flourish with such vibrancy. I had learned in nightfalls that honey-guide birds and humans could be of use to one another. The honey-guides that nest in the clifftops during the summer months are clever. The birds make their best effort to lead other species that eat honey toward beehives and wait for those animals to do the hard work in harvesting the honey before they themselves take the leftovers of the nutritious meal. They are far more adept at finding beehives from the tree canopy than my friends and I on the ground are, and we humans have proved far better at extracting a little honeycomb without causing too much trouble to the bees. In the old days, when people had to listen a little closer to the sounds that carried out of the woods, the honey guides would call out and alert humans living in nearby settlements to the potential honeypot they had found. The people would then respond with a call that had been passed down through the centuries and was, at least after a time, understood by the birds to mean that assistance was on its way. The people would follow the sound of the birds to the source of the honey before harvesting some, careful not to disturb the bees too much and leaving out a plentiful helping for the honey guides to tuck into. When Anwin and young Rhea wandered out of the water 
Stephen King to join my friends and I in the orchard that afternoon. Our team was fully assembled, and we began to work together in our own way. Devani sat on top of my shoulders and reached up to the fruit that hung from the highest branches of the trees. She would then drop the fresh fruit into the wicker basket that Otto held between his teeth. Lyra and Rhea had tasked themselves with picking blackberries for jam making and gathering the lower hanging fruit from the orchard. It wasn't long before Lyra was showing Rhea the best way to shake a tree at its root so that the fruit on its tallest branches would fall free. I could hear the pair cackling away at the other end of the orchard even after they had disappeared around the bend in the framework and I could no longer see them. By the time we had finally filled three baskets with figs, lemons and fresh tomatoes, Otto had swapped from carrying them between his teeth to nudging them into position at my feet so Devani could drop the fruit into them with ease. The trees had offered us a bounty like no other I had seen. And when we had all and when we had taken all that they offered us, I made sure to say a silent thank you to the forest before I carried the laden baskets over to the campfire with Devani and set to work. Dusk settled across the clearing as we warmed our biggest cast iron pot over the campfire. I set to work dicing tomatoes as the last of the summer sun warmed my back, and the campfire that would thaw my fingertips and keep me cosy all winter stained my cheeks and the tip of my nose red. As I worked that evening, I recall having the distinct feeling that I had one foot in summer and another planted firmly in the oncoming autumn. I could see Anwen over on the beach, using her magic to build up the edges of the lake and ensure that even in the event of heavy rainfall, the lake wouldn't burst its banks. I scarcely saw her like that, working away with her magic when she wasn't busy trying to teach me and Devani how to harness our own. It was wonderful to see her so at ease with the strength the universe had granted her. I was grateful for how much Anwen had taught me, but, as in all things, she had said she felt firmly that there was only so much a person could be taught. As that summer drew to a close, Anwen assured me that all Devani and I needed was time to explore our magic, to gather confidence, and let our intuition lead us. Where I still had to remind myself that I had the magic of the falls at my disposal whenever I set to a task, Anwen's magic had seemed an extension of her. It was the very tip of her fingers and always in the reach in her arms. It was in her widest smiles and flowed to and from her with every easy breath she drew in and out. I couldn't wait to settle into my own strength as Anwen had hers. 
I was grateful to Anwen for always reminding Devani and I of her age, and of how long such mastery had taken her to achieve. Anwen was certain that in all her years, the greatest lesson she had ever learned was that of kindness. She knew that the only real way to move forward, to learn and grow from your mistakes, was by being kind to yourself. I trusted her. She was so comfortable in herself, with her abilities, with her way of being, that it had a way of setting everyone around her at ease. Thankfully for all of us, Devani's father had been a tremendous cook and had passed all manner of family recipes onto her before she flew the nest. That summer's evening, we made his signature tomato and basil sauce over the campfire in the huge bubbling cauldron Lyra tended to use for potion making. With the entire pot of fresh tomatoes, olive oil, salt, and basil simmering over the fire, we found we simply didn't have a spoon long enough to stir the mixture, so I set to making one myself. I took a thin branch from a nearby tree and whittled off the bark so that only the clean, fresh wood from inside remained. Then I carved out the dish of the spoon carefully and washed it in the fresh, glacial water tumbling over the cliff tops into the lake. When I handed it to Devani for inspection, she seemed pleased enough with my work and set to stirring the mixture with it and making sure the tomatoes didn't get the chance to stick to the bottom of the pot. Devani said her father had always insisted the key to a good tomato sauce is patience. Although the flavours are initially savoury, as the red fruit begins to break down, the sauce always becomes much too sweet to be palatable. The key is to allow the tomatoes time to simmer and stew for at least 40 minutes, and likely much longer with the quantities we were cooking in that evening. I snuck a taste of the sauce when Devani had wandered down to the beach to cool off and found myself in agreement with her. The sauce was indeed far too sweet. Washing away the taste with a strong cup of tea, I decided to exercise a little patience. She assured me that after long enough, the flavours would deepen and the true savoury notes of the tomatoes would begin to shine through. It was early in the evening by the time the sauce was nearing readiness, and so as the sun began to set on summer, we boiled water to distill it in a separate pot, took our mason jars, filled them to the brim with sauce, screwed the lids on as tight as we could, and one by one submerged them in the boiling water for ten minutes to seal the sauce in. When we finally fished the jars out of the water and set them aside to cool, I was relieved to find that we could hear the metal tops of the jars popping inwards, indicating they had sealed and the contents would keep over the winter. 
I was always learning from my friends. We had all walked very different paths to nightfalls, and on evenings like that one, working around the campfire together, it was easier than ever to see how we needed one another. Lyra knew how to live off of the forest and preserve herbs and potions for years into the future. Anwen knew how to navigate the magic of the falls and understood its temperament far better than the rest of us. Otto kept spirits high. Devani could always be trusted to formulate a plan, and I would always be willing to roll my sleeves up and execute it. Even young Rhea reminded us of the wonders of the world. Her eyes still fell fresh enough on the world above land that often the sense of wonder sweeping across her features when she noticed new birds and flowers was all the reminder I needed of how fortunate I am to call nightfalls home. We made jam from the figs and blackberries long into the night, boiling them with sugar until they caramelized and the sweet smell drifted across the quiet clearing. When the last of the food was sealed away and saved up for the winter, it seemed only reasonable that we ought to sample the spoils. Devani scribbled out a note and tucked it into Otto's collar before sending him off to see Cersei and the nymphs. The dog had dashed across the clearing and bounded into the ravine by the time Devani informed me that we would be hosting the last night of the summer and scrawled on her note had been an invitation to our dear friends residing downstream. Like the pistol shrimp and the goby fish, the honey guides and the humans, my friends and I set to work together. Lyra ducked home to bake a fresh loaf of bread. Rhea set the table, folding the mismatched napkins that Lyra had carried up from her cottage and set out the same hand-painted crockery we had used when Lyra's friends came to visit us on the endless night. Anwin lit candles all along the centre of the table and hung lanterns in the tree canopy above it. When the stage was finally set, Devani and I hand-cut pasta and arranged it into neat nests. We chopped the remaining tomatoes and tossed them together with onion and fresh basil so we could offer our guests bruschetta when they arrived. We kept the loaf of bread that Lyra had baked warm beside the campfire whilst we finished making preparations. When Circe and the nymphs finally trickled into the clearing, the moon shone bright and the stars had finally made their shining appearance, joining us in celebrating the last night of the summer. I wondered if the nymphs had any more stories to tell us over the dinner table that night. Lyra poured a glass of the deep red wine she had been barrel-aging herself out for each of our guests, and before long we were toasting to the season to another perfect summer and the mountains that always provided. 
When our guests were seated, I shooed Devani from the kitchen, insisting she'd go and enjoy herself. I wanted to give my friends nothing less than the perfect evening to see out the summer with. I cut up the warm bread Lyra had baked for us and spooned the bruschetta mix on top, setting the pieces around a soft burrata that Lyra had taught me to make some months prior. When I carried the bruschetta across to the table, I implored my friends to dig in. Don't wait for me, start, I called back to them as I made my way over to the campfire to collect the main course. The clearing was abuzz with chatter, and fireflies fizzed through the air as the darkness deepened. There had been fast stretches of my life where I hadn't known what I wanted, where I had felt perhaps a little adrift. That night, as I carried out two pasta platters, one with the tomato and basil sauce we had spent all day preparing, and the other laden with creamy truffle linguine, I realized that I had everything I could ever want. My nearest and dearest seemed to grow nearer and dearer with each and every day. Nightfalls provided, always. I had friends to chat long into the night with over fresh food, and I got to fall asleep next to the love of my life each night. Notions of wild success and worries about whether or not I had achieved enough in life faded fast. For that night, my priorities finally and firmly rearranged themselves. When I took up my seat between Devani and Lyra, I knew I had everything I could ever want or need sitting beside me at that dinner table. clearing fell quiet as we tucked into the pasta, and I reminded myself to reward Otto handsomely for his expert truffle hunting. As we ate beneath the starlight, I made sure to savour the last of the summer, just as I did the food the falls had provided. By the time our guests began ambling home, Devani, Hanwin, Lyra and I found ourselves feeling more than a little exhausted. Hanwin muttered something about it being far past Rhea's bedtime and disappeared back into the lake with her daughter. Lyra made her way home under the close watch of Otto and Devani and I stretched out on the beach beneath the starlight. As I took a final deep breath that night on the beach, I welcomed the oncoming autumn. As I exhaled, I found that I was finally ready to let go of the summer. It had been the greatest of my life so far, and letting go of it could only mean that the next sunny season would fly a little faster around the corner. <laughs>